We're about to speak with Ira Rashbaum, MD. He's a physiatrist at NYU Langone, and he specializes in treating musculoskeletal ailments. So let's talk about your job, which is a very interesting job, I think. I guess I'll start by saying that you came in and stepped into the shoes of John Sarno. Dr. Sarno. Dr. Sarno. Dr. Sarno is from another planet. He's way ahead of his time. Yeah, I I would say I did, that I am what they call a physiatrist or a physiatrist. Those are the commonest two terms used for the name of a medical physician who specializes in the field of physical medicine and rehabilitation or just rehabilitation medicine. But truly, my first love was the work that Dr. John Sarno pioneered in the early 1970s based on this diagnosis called tension myoneural syndrome. The subject is pain. But we're not talking about pain that's due to some structural abnormality, but rather the pain that is generated in us when we put ourselves under pressure to be perfect and good. Well, tell me now, John Sarno retired, and that was probably about two to three years ago. A little longer. Actually, he retired, and he officially retired, I think, about five years ago, almost to the day, but he pretty much stopped seeing patients a few months before that, so five years essentially. And for a while, apparently, um, when patients, his patients, his existing patients or his new patients, prospective patients, called NYU, they got some kind of a recording uh, saying Dr. Sarno has retired and uh, we wish all of our patients good luck, which uh, must have stimulated sort of hysteria (laughs) among his his, uh, patient group. And there was nobody like that for them to see. Yes. And in fact, I think what we were able to coordinate, I don't remember the exact date, is that since there was this need, and I think that even through the medical center hierarchy, they understood that Dr. Sarno was providing some value to many patients, Mm -hmm. is then fairly soon after that, they were able to then link that message to my office and say that Dr. Rashbaum is now involved in this care and patients can either establish or perspective can consider reaching out to him. And that meant then you started getting phone calls from his patients from years back, many years back, I would imagine. Yes, and it was exciting, but it had its set of challenges. Uh, Tell me what those were. I can just imagine that. Probably the biggest set of challenges that I saw or the challenge was that many of Dr. Sarno's established patients would expect me not having ever examined them, taken a history from them, to make kind of diagnoses sort of shooting from the hip and saying, okay, and they'd say, well, Dr. Sarno would often, i talk with him on the phone, and even if it were a different organ system or this, that, and the other thing, according to them, would say, oh, yes, this is under the same type of diagnosis. And There is no logic to the traditional physical treatment. Instead, experience has shown, my experience, that the only successful and permanent way to treat the problem is by teaching patients to understand what they have. Simple awareness of the diagnosis itself, we have found, can be therapeutic and eliminate the pain. Then the patients, they would say to me that he would do that, and then within days or hours or a week, my my symptoms would be fine. So it sounds like the vast majority of the time, Dr. Sarno was right. But I used to say, I really can't do that. I'm not your doctor. If you want to be seen and have an evaluation, we can then try to put this together and help you. At first, there was a little bit of like, what do you mean? You, and, and you have to sort of say, logically, wait a minute. 
And I used to try to say this in as diplomatic a way as possible that sort of look at it from my end. You're a person who I've never seen in the office, never done a history and examination, and you're essentially asking me to diagnose you over the telephone and make treatment recommendations on a whole variety of levels, ethically, legally, and just sort of incompetency, probably not a very good idea. But they finally started to kind of get the message, and then I see not a steady stream of alumni patients who maybe even after some years had a little bit of a slip up, but they they still come in. Now, also keep in mind something that we, I'm sure, talked about for the interview for the book is that I sat at his side for a lot of patients for a lot of years, more than any other physicians, all combined in sort of an aggregate. So at least the memory I had of working with Dr. Sarno when he would talk to people on the phone is he also would be very responsible and say most often this could be related to this TMS or what we call a TMS equivalent, which we may get into, things that may be serving the same purpose but are not musculoskeletal or neurologic per se, and get things checked out. And let me say it again now, you cannot get better until you say that what I have been told is the cause of my pain is not so. That I do have structural abnormalities, and that's because we all have them, but they are not the cause of my pain. And I understand that sometimes it's hard to get over these ideas. And if you have that experience, you have to share that with me so I can help you get over them. And interestingly, Dr. Sarno used to, for most of his career doing this kind of work, and I, for a period of time when I had the resources, would talk to prospective patients on the phone and, for lack of a better term, pre-screen them. And often in about a three to five minute conversation, you can often get a sense of whether they should even take the time to come in to see me. But clearly, when you get a careful medical history and someone has had, let's say, you know, breast cancer or prostate cancer or colon cancer or rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis or other things which we wouldn't think would be responsible in this day and age to take people down this sort of route of diagnosis and treatment, we can generally discern this. And, of course, the physical examination is very, very key. You can't do this over the phone. You need to be able to get your hands on the patient, check them out neurologically, check them out musculoskeletally, and then, as I like to say, solve a puzzle. I'm a puzzle solver as a hobby. I do puzzle solving for my job. Even in your, I love one of the f- terms you used in your book was a physiatrist or a physiatrist as a sleuth. Yes, yes, that the, your your sleuthing ability is unsurpassed, really, in medicine. I think, and that Possibly. your ability to track down the problem, and the problem so often is not what hurts. These structural abnormalities are real, and they are there, but they are not the cause of the pain. This is an enormous uh, misconception in medicine. It is assumed by all the doctors that a herniated disc must be the cause of the pain. Well, I will tell you, Doc, you and I are both physicians. There is no evidence in the medical literature that this is so. Again, as you know, is that part of the problem with the healthcare system is that physicians in many uh, you know, practice or care situations are kind of in the mill and they have the kind of churn out patient, churn out productivity. All too often their time spent with the patient is not increasing, but it's tending to decrease. So even if you have the passion or the desire under most practice models to be able to do this, it's really going to be kind of like banging one's head against the wall. Fortunately for me, still in academia, at least hopefully it won't change, is they largely give me the bandwidth to be able to really get to know a patient 
and ask the key historical questions. Dr. Sarno would often say during his lectures, I think largely tongue-in-cheek is the MRI is one of the worst things that ever to happen to medicine. Even I don't think that was tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> well, it's a great, MRI is a great thing, just not in back pain, right? I'd say in virtually all cases, to be fair, even though I may be sort of talking about the exceptions, every now and then you may find something on something, whether it's a tumor or something like That's that, true. that will then potentially save someone's life. But yes, in my experience, and I think probably in most people's experiences, it's the vast minority. So you're kind of in that catch-22. I tell my patients, I'm a, I think I'm a good doctor, but I'm not Superman. I don't have not only x-ray vision, I don't have MRI vision to look through your skin and into your... Soft your, tissues. And all that, exactly. <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, we, in fact, even Dr. Dale, who you've, who you've uh, interviewed for the book, uh, he was one of the great, I think, uh, sort of minds in sort of looking at kind of things like risk ratios based on sort of what your history is, what your examination is like, this, that, and the other thing to say, well, the chances of something very serious can be in sort of the low risk group, infinitesimally small. Yeah. And that's something I quote with patients all the time. So let's talk about um, how, how TMS can manifest itself in other ways besides back pain? Well, there are really two answers to that question. First of all, define what TMS is, if you will. I will. So TMS, and again, for people who are listening to this and then they go to their search engine, probably they're going to more often see Ten, I mean, see transcranial magnetic stimulation. Right, very confusing. Which is a whole other ball of wax, which we're not going to get into, I don't think. We're not suggesting that anyone have it either. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, TMS in my world is called tension myoneural syndrome, the former term being tension myositis syndrome. So I define this as a syndrome that is mostly characterized by pain, but may include pain and other symptoms or no pain at all, and these other symptoms can include numbness, tingling, even essentially weakness and things like that, either actual weakness or a patient feeling that they're functionally weak, but not due to any kind of serious medical condition, but due to a process that is mediated as we see it through the part of our neurological system called the autonomic nervous system, or what you may want to call the automatic nervous system, but not due to some sort of a pathology, but as we see it kind of going applied Freudian psychodynamics due to emotional factors, things that are going on almost essentially below the level of consciousness. All right, folks, TMS is a mind-body disorder. It requires that you understand what's going on in order for you to get better. It is a physical process that will cause real physical symptoms, but you will not suffer any damage to tissue. You've all been told that you've got something pressing on a nerve and that's damaging the nerve and that's why you've got symptoms. What you've been told is not true. And in fact, one of the balancing acts that I need to do in the office every day is to sort of validate my patients when they have this diagnosis and tell them that, yes, this is mediated by your brain, but that your pain is not all in your head because all too often, often in a pejorative way, other care providers have been dismissive of their patients, mm -hmm. particularly if they just are not able to identify a structural supposed symptom generator and say, we can't find anything, this must be all in your head. Mm -hmm. And at least the majority of patients that I've heard from haven't sort of thought of that as a very pleasant life experience. They often feel very demeaned, uh, dismissed. 
Right. And and it's certain, it's basically being told you're they feel like you're they're being told that they're making it up exactly but they're not making it up exactly. At all. exactly that's not that's not real there must be a much better way for for a physician to put that besides all in your head no these are real physical symptoms uh, and and they're based as I said on let's to make it you know, very simple, stresses and strains in our lives. Yeah, and to, even to maybe even ex, uh, sort of expand a bit more is that when you asked about sort of TMS and other things is that kind of what I'll say is the mainstay more or less of what I'm seeing in my practice is spinal pain or pain that is experienced kind of somewhere between at your neck to your upper, middle, back, and as far down as your lower back. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, can include sciatica, symptoms that radiate into your lower limb, or what we'll call sort of neck sciatica, which is of course not true, but when symptoms radiate or radicular pain into any of the upper extremities. And in addition, there are also other types of musculoskeletal symptoms and other processes which would still be considered TMS, and this opens up a whole other can of worms. For example, shoulder pain, elbow pain, wrist pain, hip pain, knee pain, and probably ankle and foot pain as well, which is pretty much just about all the other joints in your body other than at your spine. And I'd say the inconvenient truth about this is just as they found out in the mid-1990s in the classic New England Journal paper about the commonness of structural changes in the lower back without any symptoms, these were, you know, right. these were subjects, not patients, they also found even in a, an article in Spine two years ago that this is involving just the neck, they looked at over 1,200 subjects without any symptoms and found these similar structural findings in almost 9 out of 10 You're talking about things like degenerative discs and black discs and stenosis, spinal stenosis, all kinds of very normal structural changes. And I hear all the time from people, you know, I've I've got two black discs, I've got you know three herniated discs, I have I have spinal stenosis and it's extremely difficult to explain that so does everybody else in the room. Exactly. And in fact, I, I, I'm big in words. I'm a puzzle guy. Just think of, I often say this to patients, is that just the term spinal stenosis, it doesn't sound very good. No, it sounds bad. Yeah, it's not a very sort of pleasant sounding term and to be sort of that confirmed on you. And also I was just saying, I say this almost every day, but I was saying to a patient just earlier today that when you hear the term degenerative disc disease, no matter how good a PR person you are, it's hard to spin as a patient disease and degenerative as anything other than not pleasant. And even expanding on, for example, what I'll call sort of hot diagnoses in the last couple of years when people are experiencing pain in their hip, they're often being told that they have their hip pain because they have a tear of their labrum or a labral tear. Very common, yes, to hear that. Right. So then wouldn't you know, when I started to do a literature, literature search about three or four years ago, that at least a couple of papers came up without a whole lot of effort. And basically what they showed, one was in December of 2012, one was two years ago in 2015, what you could probably anticipate. That if you look at enough people, even young people, people average age was, one of them was 26 years of age. We're not talking 96. So they have labrum tears. Absolutely. Most, many people have labrum tears and they have no associated discomfort from these tears. Exactly. And in fact, in one of the papers that came out in the Bone and Joint Journal in 2015, actually the author said that essentially because these tears could be so 
common even in asymptomatic people, physicians really need to be sure if these findings are really the source of their symptoms before they undergo surgery. So this mm-hmm. is just two years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, you know, I, I hate to say it, but this is how money gets made, you know? If you can, I see. If you, com- <laughs> if you can come up with a diagnosis that generally has a dollar sign attached, that's not a bad thing. As far as what we call TMS equivalents, is these are other maladies that people can experience that Dr. Sarno postulated in many cases could be serving the same purpose as traditional TMS itself. And of course, I think most physicians would just completely reject this whole treatise, would be things like irritable bowel syndrome, um, certain types of asthma and allergies, hay fever, things like that which also in his experience, he found that oftentimes when patients did embrace this model for even the TMS equivalents, people invariably often did very, very well and for extended periods of time. My foot in the door with this work back in 1993 on faculty is I started to see a lot of Medicare patients. Mm. That was a way of Dr. We didn't talk about that. So basically what was nice, very nice of Dr. Sarno was rather than just sort of hogging and taking all the TMS patients, he was very excited that someone I guess he thought was reasonably competent was very interested in this work and was also able to stay on faculty is since he wasn't so much in the insurance system at all Mm -hmm. at that point in his career, he said, okay, if someone of Medicare age wants to embrace this work, go see Dr. Rashbaum. I trained him. He does a good job. Mm -hmm. He'll evaluate you, he'll give you lectures if necessary, see what you think. So from so really my first patients actually were my old were older patients, you know, twenty four, twenty five years ago. And they generally were very receptive to this. And again, remember I'm seeing people who understand a little bit of what Dr. Sarna was talking about versus just going out on the street and saying, you know, hey, anybody with back pain, you think this is all due to emotional stuff? So I had a little bit of a skewed population. And they tended to do very, very well. And of course, as you may know, for the Medicare age population, the two key issues were retirement issues, I found, that by definition, Medicare more or less is about a 65 years and old, unless if you have on Social Security disability, that whole kind of thing. So just in and of itself, they're at an age where they're looking to often transition from a work life to a retired life. And that, of course, can have all sorts of feelings inside, some that we have access to, many, by definition, we tend not to. And then just the old getting older. Yeah. You know, what Dr. Sarno used to say, whether he took it from himself, took it from someone else, or it was his own idea, is aging can be enraging, sort of a fortune cookie thing, which is very, very powerful. And well, I was um, at a social event a couple of weeks ago, and a woman I've known since she was you know, a baby, who's now in her 50s, uh, came up and told me that her father, who had recently retired, um, had basically taken to his bed with his spinal stenosis, which was so painful. And I said, well, you know, how is he feeling about life? And she said, he feels terrible about life. He's very, very, very depressed. And I said, you got to get this guy out of bed. You know, if there's nothing else wrong with him that would put him in bed, you got to get him out of bed. And, you know, seeing you would be a very helpful thing for him. Talk it through. Is there anything actually wrong with you that needs to put you in bed? Right. And again, something that I'm so excited about this book is that you've done an excellent job and hopefully 
integrating this knowledge is on a much grander scale, people will understand, not from some physician, but from some intelligent non-physician, what the data are out there. And that's usually the one of the kind of burrows in I can get on this with patients and say, look what we're finding out even in the last 5, 10, 15 years. 2015 had some great articles, including the thing about the cervical spine changes, 12 times as many people as the New England Journal article for the lower back. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, remember, in the cervical spine, you've got a spinal cord there. Yeah. That would be more of a worrisome thing than the lower back where the spinal cord's only at the very beginning of it at the top, as you know. That's right. And... Even there was a paper that came out in the Annals of, of Internal Medicine also in 2015 in April that looked at a head-to-head uh, thing about surgery versus non-surgery for lumbar spinal stenosis, and everybody was considered a surgical candidate, but the results were equivalent whether you had surgery right. or not. Try explaining that to people. I'm sure you do try to explain that every day, but I say you can have the surgery, and you may or may not get better. Or you cannot have the surgery, and you may or may not get better. But you do not have a better chance of getting better by having it. I'm very glad that we could do this. Oh, this was wonderful. Thank right. you, and of course, best of luck with your book. I oh, hope it does very well. I thank think it you, and thank you very much for your contribution to the book. You can be found in there. Dr. Rashbaum uh, definitely does appear in the chapter called Head Case. So please take a look. Thank you very much.